Well, hello and welcome to the latest episode of A Few Minutes With. And it is my joy and delight today to welcome as my guest, Dr. Grace Jisun Kim. Uh, Dr. Kim is an ordained Presbyterian minister and professor of theology at the Earlham School of Religion in Indiana. Uh, many of you know her from her extensive list of books that she's written over the years. I think this brings the total to 19, uh, one of which, uh, Reimagining Spirit, Keeping Hope Alive, was named by Englewood Review of Books as one of the best books of 2019. Uh, she's a member of the Working Group on Climate Change for the World Council of Churches and the Presbyterian Church's Social Ethics Network. Uh, she's been named by Englewood Books as one of the 10 important women theologians you should read. And she has done more interviews with mainstream media outlets, print and broadcast than I can list at this time. And at the end of this episode, you'll see a link to her blog. I encourage you to go and see everything she's got. It would take an entire episode to cover her extensive resume and accomplishments. So Dr. Kim, thank you so much for being with me today. Oh, Reverend Rose, thank you so much for that warm introduction. You just lifted my spirit up, <laughs> and I feel like so important to all of us. <laughs> so thank you for that warm invitation and, and the warm introduction. It's so it's a pleasure to be here with you. Well, thank morning. you. Uh, this podcast started early in uh, the pandemic, and so one question that I always ask my guests is, how are you doing? How are you and your family doing? How have you had to adjust with uh, teaching your students at Earlham? Just how, how's it been for you? Um, I, I survive and am surviving. It's been hard, uh, but I'm thankful that um, our family is healthy. My father was hospitalized with COVID, but he survived it and he's doing well, but um, it's been hard and I'm actually on sabbatical, so it's okay that I'm not teaching. Um, I taught at the beginning of the pandemic, but now I'm home and my husband is on sabbatical too. So both of us <laughs> on sabbatical, we're just stuck at home <laughs> all day long, every day. <laughs> we're home. So <laughs> I'm waiting for the pandemic to end so I can get yeah. back to my routine and and travel. I've been speaking and mostly on Zoom, which is very hard. So but I'm, I'm still healthy and I'm happy and I'm glad to be on this podcast with you. And I'm, I'm very pleased that you started this podcast. I know a lot of people have started different things or their habits have changed. And one thing mm -hmm. for me is I became a vegetarian. <laughs> it was just, <laughs> I never ate much meat, but as soon as the pandemic, my last visit was to Gordon Conwa. I was there to preach and then have a book meeting. Mm -hmm. And that was my last meet. Uh, consumption and that was <laughs> last year March and so almost a whole year of of not eating meat so that's one thing I started during this pandemic and I'm glad that you started the podcast but for me it was not eating meat oh well congratulations our oldest child uh, made the decision to become a vegetarian <laughs> oh gosh six years ago now I think wow. and has not looked back so <laughs> I haven't looked back either and I think you know, I've always kind of thought of doing it. And I don't know, just this pandemic just pushed me and I'm not looking back. So it's been good. I've never craved meat for the oh, whole year, almost the whole year. And that's, that's great. great for your daughter too. Oh, yes. Our oldest child. I don't know if it was a daughter. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I've asked you here today, your most recent book that came out at the end of last year is called Hope in Disarray, uh, Piecing Our Lives Together in Faith. And at the outset, I have to say just thank you for it. Um, it's incredibly rich. There's not enough time today to cover all of it. In fact, I was thinking to myself as I was preparing to talk to you, we could do an entire podcast series just on on this book. Wow. But one thing I'd like to ask you about is the emotional investment in writing this. Um, as I read it, I found it, particularly as you revealed things about your own life and your own past, it's an intensely personal set of reflections that you're sharing as the foundation for uh, this discussion of different aspects of hope. And what I see is you've taken these aspects from your life and almost framed a doorway that's inviting us to walk through and to uh, start taking action in these different areas. And partner with that, in later chapters, you talked about vulnerability and about how when you demonstrate vulnerability, it's uh, showing that you can't do things alone. Uh, it opens a pathway to honesty and to accepting the brokenness of others. And it's really a a symbol of uh, hope and, and grace and love. So I have to ask, when you started this book, were you thinking at that time that it was going to take you through this route of vulnerability? Or is it something that developed as you were doing the writing? Um, it's so hard to be vulnerable. And I've written stuff like short pieces in the past about being vulnerable especially as uh being a mom and being vulnerable mm -hmm. and it is gut-wrenching to share my life sometimes and I think it's um I share it more on print like in books than mm -hmm. I do um maybe in social media I know other people share so much on social media, like pictures and so forth. I'm a little bit more reserved and such a, it's a weird phenomenon for me, but I think I share more on print because in so many cases, you know, I've written books and my earlier books are very academic and I don't share as much, but as I keep writing, I write for um, the church and more for the general audience. They don't even have to be Christian. And I'm hoping this book isn't just for the Christian community, but those who are just looking for hope. And I feel it's kind of important to share my life because some people think, and, and social media is a problem in that way. We just present the good things, right? Mm -hmm. We present, oh, the gift that we got or the great things about our family or our kids. And so it doesn't show the bad stuff in many cases. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's, you know, so people think, oh, my life is all rosy and everything is good, but that's not the case. And, and if we look at anybody's life, nobody's life is like that. So I do share um, personal struggles and my personal life in a way that I'm very vulnerable. But I think in that way, it opens up kind of the, the topics that I do want to share. And, you know, the book covers you know, racism and sexism and, um, you know, those are vulnerable things that women go through and people of color go through. So as I share, I know I'm not alone. You know, the experiences that I've gone through, they may not be exactly the same as other people, but they will be able to come to those topics and say, hey, I've done, 
I've experienced it. And so they can enter those experiences. And so even when I teach um, theology, I always tell my students, you know, theology is biography and biography is theology mm -hmm. in the sense that we come to know God through our own life experiences. So, you know, your life experience, Reverend Rose, is so different from my life. But I'm sure if we had days to sit around, there'll be commonalities. You know, we both are experiencing climate change. You know, this nation is going through storm and, and they'll go through, you know, different things in different seasons. And so climate change is affecting us wherever we live no matter our class or race, it's affecting us. And, and it may affect us in various degrees, but it will affect us and it will continue to affect us if we don't do something about it. So I think the vulnerability, uh, you know, sometimes I share and I think, oh, I shouldn't have shared. And I'm sure my family may not want me to share, <laughs> but I feel that's the starting point. And hopefully that's not the ending point, but we, we find our commonalities as I write and as people read and as people, you know, use my book in different ways, either individually or as a Bible study group, or just as a small group, that they can sit there and reflect, hey, I had similar thoughts or similar experiences. And so that's where, and that's why I kind of do share my vulnerability. And, you know, at the end of the day, I'm thinking, I hope it's helpful. And I'm hoping that other people can share their vulnerabilities too. And God is in our midst, you know, mm -hmm. God is in our pain and our sorrow and, and our depths of despair. So we find God there. Uh, we may think God is not present there, but God is there. Yeah. Well, it certainly resonated with me. Uh, I won't give the story away, but uh, you talk about uh, one incident in particular uh, that resonated with me directly about your experience with the junior prom. And um, <laughs> I thought back to an incident that I had with my senior prom that was very similar. Oh. Uh, so, uh, but, you know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of power in what you shared. Um, and again, it's, it's such a gift that you're giving of yourself to put these particular things. I mean, there are some, I, you know, I, I talk about the prom story and that's light. You get into some very heavy personal experiences. So it's, it's a gift and I think it will uh, certainly resonate. But out of that, you come to uh, the crux of the book, which is hope. And you've done something really interesting, and I'm wondering if you'd talk a bit more about it. You know, a lot of people, myself included, think that uh, hope is the means to an end. And you've actually flipped this, uh, I think you refer to it as the hierarchy of hope. You flipped it where the hope is not the means to the end. Hope is itself the end, and the joy and peace that you know, I think come from the hope are actually the foundation for it. Talk a little bit about how you arrived at, at flipping the script and making hope the end rather than the beginning. Yeah, um, I tend to flip a lot of things around. <laughs> <laughs> and 
you may see that throughout the book. So one of the phrases is, you know, we grow up thinking, and I, you know, I think I reflect on it too about uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not. Mm -hmm. So thank you for reminding me about my pain about the prom incident. <laughs> I've never talked about it in public and I've only shared it with my friend, my close friend. And then now you just reminded me, I wrote it in the book for everyone <laughs> to see the pain that I went through. Um, going through that prom experience, but you know, all of our lives, and that's just a little pain. It's not like yeah. huge pain, but it it's this vulnerable part that now I remember I, I wrote about it, but I flipped a lot of things. Um, you know, I wrote about Ripley's Believe It or Not. I grew up on that show. I loved watching that show. I can't remember what night it was on, but you know, I would oh. wait to watch it. I can and, tell you exactly when it was. It was oh, Sunday, when, when, Sunday night uh -huh. at seven and Jack Palance was the host. I just loved it. And I know uh, parts of my life, I had to go um, to Sunday night worship. So I missed it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when I didn't have to go to Sunday night worship, remember when we had Sunday night worships, yep. uh, I would, I just love the show because it was just so fascinating. People, you know, doing crazy things and Ripley's Believe It or Not, the host would always say, you won't believe it until you see it. So I flip it around. And I think when it comes to our faith, you know, Faith is all about um, seeing, not seeing and believing, but now I'm getting it all mixed up because I got so excited about the show. <laughs> so Rick, please believe it or not, said uh, we see and we believe. Mm -hmm. I think our Christian faith is we believe and then we see. Mm -hmm. You know, I think we believe and then we see God's presence in the world. You know, we see it everywhere. It's not that we have to see God's presence and then believe in God. We believe and we see God's presence, God's miracles around the world. You know, we see how God interacts with us. So I tend to flip things around a lot. And I think even with the hope, you know, it's, it's this end. And, it, you know, when we hope is something, you know, I, I talk about optimism and, and I think, um, Dr. Mitri uh, Rahab, who wrote the forward, talk about optimism too. Some of us get confused about what hope is and they think, oh, hope is just being optimistic. You know, so, okay, I'm going to be very optimistic today. And they think that's being full of hope. Mm -hmm. But it's not that, you know, optimism just ends there <laughs> and it just, it's kind of flat. Hope is it, it moves us to do something about the world. So I cover a lot of topics, as you mentioned um, earlier in the podcast, I cover topics about climate change and, and racism and family dynamics and, and so many other issues. And so when we see these things happening, hope actually is the anchor of our life. It's what God gives us, you know, hope, faith, and love is poured upon us by God and that changes us and, and moves us and stirs us to do something about it, you know, about the climate change. And, and you know, I think climate change is one of the biggest issues of our lifetime. And if we don't do something about it, 
you know, it's, it's going to drastically change the whole planet. Mm -hmm. And I think American churches in particular, I think European churches and maybe a few Asian churches are better at tackling climate change, but we American churches are not. We, because of our mentality of, you know, domination, you know, we, we can do whatever we want to satisfy our, our desire. We crank up heat. We uh, crank up the AC in the summertime. We do all these things that are contributing to climate change. We drive everywhere. Other people in the world don't drive everywhere. They walk around a lot uh, or cycle or do other things, but we drive everywhere. We drive to the bank. We, you know, our car was was under repair in the winter time and my daughter's like, oh, she needs to go to the go to the bank and go to go get <laughs> something at the CVS. And I said, why don't you walk? <laughs> I said, okay. <laughs> you know, so something so simple that she thought she can't go because our car is under repair. And I said, you could just walk down the street. <laughs> And it didn't take her long. It's just down the street. Right. So sometimes we just get in the habit of doing these things which contribute to climate change. So we have to reframe this. And, you know, God gives us this hope. And hope will actually change the world. And before I wrote it, I never thought of hope changing the world. I just thought it was a scary area. <laughs> A very airy kind of thought that people have right. but it really will change the world and that is my hope for this book too as people read it that this hope that god gives us it anchors us and it will move us and it will change the world you know, it's it's interesting. You mentioned climate change. That was something I wanted to to talk about as well. Uh, you know, we're we're tasked, and you talk about the fact that even as far back as the early verses of Genesis, we are tasked with caring for God's creation. Um, and with climate change, we hear a lot of the things. Uh, it's too expensive. The technological hurdles are too great. You brought out something interesting I hadn't thought of, and it's the reluctance to do it because people are afraid. Just the core concept of the fear of what it's going to mean. Is that something uh, that you've encountered in talks with people or just something you've picked up in your work with the World Council of Churches uh, Climate Change Group? Uh, things that you've seen and picked up just in these conversations and just a sense that you get from, from people. Yeah, I think it's a combination of all other things that you mentioned working with the World Council of Churches. You know, we have uh, met as a group I've been part of the group maybe 10 years now. Mm -hmm. I have the book, uh, Making Peace with the Earth, edited, um, published by the World Council of Churches. And I see um, churches, and churches are afraid, and individuals are afraid to make any changes. European churches, some of them are moving more to sustainable green churches. So they're trying to save energy, save electricity, save water. Uh, so many different things. We in the U.S. live in this disposable lifestyle in the sense that we use styrofoam cups, paper plates, these plastic forks, you know, at these gatherings at churches. You know, Korean churches love to eat. So before the pandemic, you know, we, we eat every week and a lot of it is disposable stuff. So we throw away everything. We have, I remember bagfuls and bagfuls after church on a Sunday after mm -hmm. lunch of garbage. 
So I think we're afraid and it's, it takes extra work to wash dishes and wash utensils and cups. So people don't want to take the extra step. Um, people are afraid that, you know, we're going to lose jobs. But, you know, if we go into this renewable energy, it's going to create different jobs and maybe more jobs. And the end result is we're going to live a greener life. And for generations to come, people will be healthier. You know, so much of our um, health problems today, a lot of it is because of climate, um, of, uh, because of the pollution that affects climate change. So, you know, the air pollution, the water pollution, you know, the lead in the water, all these things are affecting our health and creating cancer and other illnesses. And so I think we need to be not afraid of change. We are afraid of change. And we have this Christian understanding, this American Christian understanding of of um, domination. So the Genesis passage that you read or you reference, you know, we feel like we do we're called to dominate over the earth, but we are called to take care of the earth. We are to be the keepers of the garden, you know, the garden that we plant and so forth. And so we have to kind of flip our understanding of God's requirement of us or our misunderstanding and understand that God wanted us to tend the garden. God wants us to take care of the earth, take care of the animals, take care of the wildlife and the planet. And we have to stop destroying it. You know, we're getting rid of forests. We're getting rid of, you know, the Amazon in rapid, you know, they say like uh, football field a day or many football, football field a day. Mm -hmm. We just cutting trees down and the consequences you know the amazon is the lungs of the earth or parts of the earth these trees you know give us new oxygen to breathe and we're just getting rid of it for our own self selfish needs the amazon provides medicine and it's been part of, you know we're, we're anyway i can go on and on it it could be another <laughs> podcast but you know we need we should not be afraid we should we should uh, rethink and reimagine how we can uh, work to save the planet and we will not be afraid and that's my hope too. Well speaking from your context as a Christian do you think the Christian church Christian denominations are doing enough to frame this in theological terms where it's more resonant or is there more work that uh, you know I as a clergy person for instance could be doing to try and remove it from the political sphere that you talk about in the book and frame it more in, uh, you know, religious and theological terms that might resonate more deeply. Yeah, I think our churches are theological. You see the church doctrines that we have. So, you know, most of our churches have doctrines. I'm at Erland School. Quakers don't have doctrines, but, you know, these teachings of the church are from passed on in the 2000 year history by white male Europeans who weren't tackling climate change. They were just, you know, and it's really with the industrial revolution that, you know, the climate, you know, we're just polluting the world in drastic numbers. You know, we're depleting our natural resources in drastic numbers. So now we really have to rethink our church doctrine. And so one of the other, other edited books I did with uh, Dr. Hilda Koster is Planetary Solidarity, mm -hmm. reimagining church doctrines from um, this 
understanding of climate change and from women's perspective. So we have, and, and, and part, you know, some of the contributors like Sally McFig, reimagining who God is. You know, she's written most of her books um, in her later life about reimagining God in this time of climate injustice and looking at God, um, the world as God's body. And when you do that, you know, it really changes our perspective of God and God's presence in the world. If God's presence is right here in this world, um, because so much of our church doctrine have said, you know, God out there and God looking down, you know, the old white man on a throne looking down at the world and, and saying, oh, we're doing bad things, you know, but if we um, reimagine God's presence in the world and, and, you know, that we are hurting God's body, mm-hmm. you know, every time we pollute, every time we, we are uh, practicing or engaged in racism or sexism, when we hurt one another, when we hurt each other's bodies, mm-hmm. you know, we are hurting the body of God. You know, Christ's presence in the world. As Christians, we talk so easily, uh, you know, on a communion Sunday or when we're serving the Eucharist, you know, God's body or the blood of Christ and God's body and this bread. Mm -hmm. But we're so hesitant to talk about God's presence in the world. You know, and and so we have, we're easy to place it in the elements, but we're so hesitant to talk about it as God's presence in the world. I don't know where, I think part of it is this dualism and I probably mention it in the book too, too. We are, as Christians, we talk in dualistic terms. And so we can't bring the two together. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about body and we talk about spirit. We talk about heaven and earth. We talk about male and female. You know, night and day, this dualistic that we can't combine the two. We can't not separate. So the spirit and body are two together, you know, but Christian thinking and Christian teaching have separated it so drastically that that has caused a lot of problems. And that contributes to climate change. That contributes to racism and sexism, this gender injustice. So I think... In some way, you know, when I flip things around in the book um, and turn things upside down, I just think if we look at it more holistically, if we reimagine God's presence in the world and not just in the elements that we serve during Eucharist, Mm -hmm. I think we would learn to love one another better. I think we will learn to take care of the earth. I think we will learn to uh, to not commit sexual assault on women and also to to boys and young men and so forth. I think if we can just reimagine uh, church doctrines that have passed on through the 2000 years in different ways, mm-hmm. um, then I think we can live a better life you know in the book I also reflect on the story about when my uh, PhD professor was asking us what does it mean when we pray the Lord's Prayer and we say the phrase uh, let thy kingdom come right right and I write about it 
And I remember it clearly as if it happened today, like this morning. And he asked the class, there were like 20 of us PhD students, a few master's students sitting around. Everybody's so eager to answer. <laughs> and I'm always the shy one in the class. I hate answering because I always feel like I have the wrong answer. Mm-hmm. So that day I had my head down and like, and he's like telling everybody, no, that's the wrong answer. That's the wrong answer. And I'm like, please don't ask me. So, you know, the best way is to put your head down and you think, then you're invisible. And thankfully, he never asked me because I didn't know what to say because I hate when professors ask those simple questions because I know it's a trick question. (laughs) Or it's going to be something that is not what we think it is because it's such a simple thing. You know, I've said this prayer over and over again. And I grew up in London, Ontario, where we said the Lord's Prayer every morning. That was our ritual. We prayed it every morning before the the, the announcements that was uh, said in, in class. So we grew up, it was a very Christian community. So we prayed the Lord's Prayer and I think, I'm not going to have the right answer. And he said, everyone, you know, everybody's answering and everybody's giving the wrong answer. He's saying wrong, 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 wrong. And he goes, I'll tell you what the answer is. And he says, you know, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, let thy kingdom come. He says, what we're praying is, let my kingdom go. So that, you know, it was such a simple answer, and it, mm-hmm. but it stayed with me. And I don't know if it affected the rest of the class so profoundly, but it affected me. And I talk about it a lot, and I wrote about it in this book. But it affected me because I think part of our Christian problem is we build our own little kingdoms everywhere. Right. We love to be the king and the queen of our kingdom, <laughs> right? We build it and we're so happy about the little kingdom that we, we build. It may be a, a structural thing. We may be the pastor and we love to build our little kingdoms. It may be as a professor, it may be as a leader, it may be as a family. You love to build your little kingdom mm-hmm. and you're so happy building it. So whatever you build in your own little kingdom, who cares what happens outside your kingdom? As long as your kingdom, you're happy. And I remember I grew up with the phrase NIMBY, not in my backyard, right? As long as it doesn't happen in my backyard, not as long as there's no garbage in my backyard, I'm okay because mm-hmm. I can just pick up the garbage in my backyard. But we got to let go of these little kingdoms that we build. And I must confess, I love building my little kingdom and my kingdom of my little family. <laughs> you know, I love to control everybody in my family, but we can't do that. So whatever kingdom that we're building, we have to let it go. As we let it go, then we allow God to reign in our lives. You know, let it go, whether it be our churches or our communities, we really have to let it go so that God can reign. And when God reigns, then these issues of climate change and racism and, 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 and sexism, all these things, we have to let it go and see how are we going to work Mm-hmm. And the hope that God gives us helps us to make these changes. It really stirs us to, to move to do social change, social justice in our lives. You know, Micah 6, 8, you know, to, to what is the phrase? You probably know it better. To live humbly and, and, and do justice. Yes. Something like that, right? Yeah. Micah 6, 8, you can reference it better later. But, you know, that's the hope that God gives us that anchors our life to change. 
to make changes in our lives. You know, I had a question that I was going to end with, but in listening to you talk, I think in some respects you've answered it. There was my previous career before going into ministry was in communications. And so I'm used to words inspiring and words calling and words motivating. There was something early on in your book that I read that has continued to bore its way into my head. You talk about putting down words that will walk with people on this journey. And that was such an incredible way to think of it because I, I don't think myself of words walking, but in having this conversation with you and having read the book, it really, you know, they, it seems like the appropriate word for it because it is, you know, words are not finite. If they're printed, they're there in perpetuity. But, you know, as you've reflected and shared on some of these issues, it's, the words continue to move. As you said, you wanted them to journey with us and they very much are. So I just wanted to know how much I loved that action verb that you've now given uh, to words because it's not one that I've ever thought of and it's incredibly beautiful, so. Oh, well, thank you for mentioning it. Um, it, it kind of um, comes along with the book I wrote before Hoping to Disarray is Reimagining Spirit, as you mentioned at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Reimagining Spirit, because I'm, I'm rethinking who the Spirit of God is. And one of them is uh, vibration. And I'm thinking your listeners may be all like shocked now. But vibration in the sense that every living thing vibrates, mm -hmm. right? The cells no cell is static. They, they all vibrate. And then I reference and go back to the Genesis creation story where God speaks, right? The, on the first day, God said, let there be light. And there is light. Mm -hmm. Words are vibration. You know, they come from our mouth and they vibrate. And so it's this wave. I don't know. It's hard to without going deeply into that reimagining spirit book, but these are actions and God, you know, God, the word spoke out of God and it was action and it came to be. And so we, the spirit of God is in us and our words are that powerful. So the words, you know, we, we want the words to walk with us. It affects people's life. It changes people. You know, that's why you get up on Sunday morning to preach. Words are powerful. And so I'm thinking, I'm hoping that people will walk and these words will affect their walk in this journey of life with God. Well, I think they will. And I'm, I'm going to invite you, if you would, there's a wonderful section in Final Thoughts uh, where you're wrapping up the book and you give it almost as a call. There, there's the book right there. I was going to say, yeah. it's, it looks much better in real than me trying to hold it up on my Kindle. Well, I'm glad you're reading it on Kindle too, because that's helping with the climate change issue. <laughs> so you can invite your church members to read it on Kindle or in print. I know some people have a hard time reading it in, in Kindle, but... Absolutely. But I, I wonder if you would share, uh, and we talked before about this particular passage and how, and I think it's a great way to wrap up our conversation about how uh, this can be a call to folks. Okay. So if you're reading it in print, it's page 125 in my final thoughts, the first paragraph. So I write, in this parting, after you turn the page, close the book, return to life, shut your lids for a night's rest and feel darkness swathe all around, 
Call out for something. Call out for love. Call out for peace. Call out for light. Call out for mercy. Call out for God. Reach out, not for the purpose of gaining something in return, but because the call itself is the gift. Thank you for letting me share those final oh, no. words. Thank you. And again, I, I recommend this book to everyone. It's, it's great, as Dr. Kim said, for individual reading as I did for Bible studies. There's some wonderful reflection questions at the end of each one. You can read it as a devotional, uh, just a lot of ways to enjoy it. So uh, Dr. Kim, again, I'm so grateful for your time. I know you have a, a packed schedule around this book with interviews and, and writing to do. So I'm, I'm grateful for this time. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for um, inviting me and thank you for being such a gracious host. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be on today. Thank you. Take care.